Hello and welcome to Foundation Stones from Refuge City Church. Having a solid foundation for our walk with Jesus Christ is vital for every Christian, especially in the times we live in. Through God's word, candid conversations, and everyday application, the aim is to help you build your foundation so you can stand strong for God every day. Buckle in and prepare your heart. Pray this, God, ready my heart for your truth that I might be more like you. We hope today's episode empowers you to grow in your walk with Jesus. Let's dive in. Hey there, welcome back to Foundation Stones. This is Jim Weaver, your host. I'm the worship and the administrative pastor at Refuge City Church in Klamath Falls, Oregon. And we are back. August, I was able to take some time off. Last week, I was able to share a message that I shared with our church congregation in a live setting. And today I'm back for an in-person teaching. I hope that you're ready. And I want to apologize right off the bat. My voice is a little rough today. I've got just a little bit of laryngitis, but hopefully you can push through with me because I am I am really excited about what I have to share with you today. I'd like you to, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, and I want to read to you verse 3 to start us out today. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Huh. Wait a minute, I thought growing in Christ was all about becoming more mature, not less mature, right? I thought I was supposed to be more refined and sophisticated as I age in Christ. I I shouldn't be reverting, I should be advancing, right? What Jesus said here is just as shocking today as it was the day he said it to his disciples. You need to change and become more like children if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. What in the world does Jesus really mean by this? How do we embody the weight of what Jesus is saying here? Because it seems that entering heaven is what's at stake. So let's take a look at the full context of this verse to get an idea of what Jesus might be wanting to teach us today in Foundation Stones. Let's let's look at Matthew 17. We're going to look at the context of the entirety of this story, and I think that this is really going to speak to us today. Matthew 17, let's start in verse 24, and we'll catch up to the verse that I read to you just a few moments ago. It says this in verse 24 of Matthew 17. When they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon, from whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first, and when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Chapter 18, verse 1, it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. So it's really important when you're reading God's word to make sure that you're looking at the full context of a passage of scripture to get the big picture idea of what's really going on. It explains all of the nuances much better if you look at the bigger picture. 
And this instruction on being like a child to enter God's kingdom is a perfect example of the need for context. You'll notice in Matthew 18, 1, that the sentence starts with this phrase, at that time. And so that begs the question, at what time? This is a contextual clue to back up and find out why the Bible would use such a phrase. Why does it matter at what time the disciples came to Jesus and this story starts? In this case, the time gives us the understanding of what their conversation had been all about before we enter into Matthew chapter 18. Because Matthew 17 finds Peter, the apostle, being challenged by the temple tax collectors about whether or not Jesus was going to pay his temple tax. Some translations actually translate this word tribute. This was actually a small amount of money called a didrochmon, and it was worth approximately one-third of our current dollar, about 33 cents, give or take. This was basically the entry fee to the temple, one way that they funded the upkeep of the building. But think of it, God in the flesh, Jesus, was being charged to enter his own house. (laughs) So mind you, this is not the tithe. This was a tax in addition to the tithe. God's principles of tithing stand solid, and God's word is very clear on this. Jesus would have had no trouble with the tithe. But never was there an instruction to add a tax to attending church. The Bible actually says that Jesus anticipated Peter's approach. Peter was disturbed by this question because, of course, he wanted to answer positively to the question of the tax collectors, but it was almost as if Peter was embarrassed at the accusation that Jesus wouldn't pay his temple tax, and Jesus knew that he would need to speak to it in Peter's life. So look at verse 25 of Matthew 17. What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. (laughs) What a profound statement and what a profound miracle. Very interesting, very unique, very odd. Jesus was being taxed to enter his own house. And instead of offending the people, he told Peter to run down to the lake, which really wasn't far away. They're on the seashore here in the city of Capernaum. He told him to throw a line into the water and catch a fish. In the fish's mouth would be the approximately 66 cents that Peter would need to pay the temple tax for Jesus and for himself. It was petty, really. But Jesus was more concerned with not making much of something little and honoring the people who at the time didn't know better than raising a stink about something silly. So he did it, but not without speaking the truth of identity of the disciples into their lives. He said to them, you are sons. You don't have to pay, but do it out of honor. (laughs) Now I could imagine the disciples' chest puffing up a little bit. We don't have to pay. We're sons. Matthew 18, 1. This is where we pick up our story. At that time, At this time, when Jesus is talking to the disciples about the temple tax, at that time when they were in the synagogue in Capernaum, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I'd never really seen this before, reading across the chapter break and all, but I wonder if the disciples' question came less from an authentic desire to know who was greater and more from wanting to hear Jesus say one more time that it was them that was the greatest. They were sons. They didn't need to pay the temple tax. 
They were above the tax. (laughs) But Jesus did something really interesting. Jesus didn't bite on their need to posture their position. Jesus showed them what true sonship actually looked like. Look at verse 2. Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Jesus is not interested in the title and accomplishments of your life in order to qualify you as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is revealing to us that we're qualified in our innocence as children. And then we work our way out of that qualification sometimes with our aged confidence and our own self-righteousness. It's a dangerous trap that we find ourselves in when we are convinced of our own qualification because of our self-imposed maturity. You see, children are humble by default. They don't have any inherent rights. They don't have as much physical prowess. They don't have a say in most decisions. They depend on everyone else for their needs and for their protection. They're completely at the bottom of the rung of society. And Jesus said it's that position that qualifies them for the kingdom of heaven. So is it possible that the more advanced we become, the more disqualified we are in God's eyes. (laughs) I would contend that, yes, this is the case. That's why we need the work of Jesus that he did on the cross for us. And we need the humble faith to receive it as a free gift. Remember this important part of the story. And you might not have seen this, but it jumped out at me. Peter didn't even pay his own temple tax, even though he handed over the money. But Jesus, I caught the fish. Jesus would say, (laughs) Who put the coin in that fish's mouth? We would say, Jesus, look at how good I am. I'm such a great fisherman. I did all of these things. Jesus would say, you're not acting through the humility of a child. Anything you have is from me to begin with. And everything that you need is found in me. You see, self-righteousness is a killer of childlikeness. Attempting to get to God with our impressive credentials is like standing on the shore of California and trying to hit Hawaii by throwing a rock. You'll never get there. You've got to depend on the one who did the work. You are a child. He is your father. Any other posture is not acceptable. So today I'd like to talk to us about the understanding of what it means to be childlike. Like Jesus said, unless you become like a little child. So when I read God's word, I'm always interested in following the chronology of the stories in the Bible. Because you see, in chapter 18 of Matthew, Jesus is telling the disciples what the Father above looks for in the hearts of those going to heaven. He says the qualification is childlikeness, innocence, humility, dependence. And yet, I want you to notice just one chapter later, it's as if the disciples completely forgot what Jesus had been telling them. And this is a really important point for us to understand. God really likes kids. And in the same way, he really likes a kid-like heart. Look at the very, very next chapter in Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. It says, Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. Now catch this. These are the same disciples that Jesus had just told that the kingdom of heaven belongs to the children. 
Verse 14, But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. I like the take of this story from Luke, chapter 18, starting in verse 15. It says, Then they also brought infants to him, that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So first of all, let me point out that Scripture is clear that God really likes children. You'll find over and over how God will defend the vulnerable, the weak, and the innocent. He fights on their behalf. And this is why the exploitation of minors, the human sex trafficking trade, child abuse, abandonment, and most definitely abortion, or atrocities, abominations in God's eyes. We must fight to protect our most vulnerable to the bitter end because God does. We've got to intercede. We've got to intervene. We've got to vote. And we've got to contend for the protection of the lives that cannot speak for themselves. Every human life matters to God at every stage of their existence, whether conceived today or born 10 years ago. If God says the kingdom of God is filled with people who have a childlike heart, he must really place a lot of importance on people who are actually children. And so make no mistake, God loves kids, and he especially likes them. So much so that he tells us grown-ups to protect them and to be more like them. No wonder there's such an all-out war against our children in our current culture. You see, in Luke 18, verse 17 is key. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So what in the world does that mean? What can we take from that statement? Because truthfully, it's very blunt. It's very clear that Jesus is after something in the heart of a child that many of us grown-ups don't retain very well. In Matthew 18, I would contend the first thing is humility. Jesus said, whoever humbles himself as a child. Proverbs 16, 18, it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, unfortunately, the more we age, the more we mature, the more susceptible we are to a spirit of pride that elevates our own qualifications and demeans the qualifications of others. And Jesus flips it on its head and says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to be like a child, humble. James 4, 6, the second half of the verse, it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, children are by very nature humble. But what are some of the other qualities of a child that we can work into the tapestry of our walk with Christ? Things that many times get lost in our sophisticated adulthood. I would say one of the paramount childlike traits is innocence. Innocence. Psalm 24, verse 3, 4, and 5, it says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. You see, unfortunately, with age comes the loss of innocence. We're exposed to the evil, the hatred, the sin, and the temptations of the world, and we no longer look through eyes of innocence. 
You've experienced the taste of the bitter fruit of the world, and now we're tainted. Instead of playing in the backyard with a baseball card stuck in the spokes of our bike tire to pretend with our buddies that we're riding a motorcycle, we're hiding in the back room looking at stuff we'd never want our parents to see us looking at, losing the innocence of childlikeness. Instead of raw honesty and humble admission, we're more prone to lies and excuses when confronted about our sin, just like Adam and Eve. The snake made me do it. We've got to cover our nakedness with a fig leaf instead of having a clean conscience without shame. You see, kids, kids are innocent. Adults carry the weight of regretted experiences, but kids know no shame. Adults can be defined by shame. Kids believe in the power of second chances because that's all they've got. They fall down and scrape their knee, they get band-aids, they wipe their tears, and they get back up. Adults get buried under the weight of condemnation because our dirt gets so heavy. It's hard to imagine being free like we once were as a child. Kids are filled with hope and adventure because they only have to look forward. Adults spend a lot of time looking at the past. More life seems to be in the rearview mirror than in the windshield. When we lose our innocence, we tend to have a hard time receiving God's grace in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. But you see in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we understand that the traits so far of having a childlike heart that God really likes is children are humble, children are innocent. The next one is that children are curious. Curiosity. Remember, much to the dismay of a young parent or teacher or a grandparent is the relentless question every toddler or young child asks, and you know what it is just as much as I do, right? That question, that relentless question, why? 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 Finally, we just throw up our arms in exasperation and we just say, because. (laughs) I used to try and hold myself accountable to using this cop-out answer. If my kids ever said because when I asked them why they did something, I'd say because is not an answer. But how often does the relentless question asking cause us sophisticated, educated adults to shout because when our kids ask us for the umpteenth time, why? But truly, curiosity is the mark of a child. (laughs) Why do they ask why? It's because they genuinely don't know. And they genuinely want to know. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that after a while, us adults stop asking questions out of curiosity and instead we start making statements out of an assumption that we have all of the knowledge that we'll ever need? I want you to think of yourself today. Don't put this on someone else. Think of yourself as I'm thinking of myself. Do you ask more questions or do you make more statements in any given day? If you're not sure, here's the litmus test. Ask someone close to you who will tell you the truth. Ask them, do I ask more questions or do I make more statements? You might find you're surprised by their answer. So if you're a statement maker, you might find you have a lot of one-sided conversations. Think about it. As soon as the statements start, the other person stops responding and glazes over. They've shut down. Why? There's no room for an exchange when there are no questions. The conversation is turned from an exchange into a teaching. It's very hard to be a student when you're always the teacher. 
Learn to be a student again. Read a lot. Ask people lots of questions. Even people you might not know very well or even those people that you don't always agree with. And spend a lot of time listening. Listen even to people that you think have an opposite stand from you. You might be surprised to find out that you could gain access to their heart because you ask more questions than make statements. You never know what you might learn. Proverbs 17, 27 says this, He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Proverbs 29, 20, Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Some of the most joyful people I know are curious people. People who are excited to learn. People who are curious about the perspectives and insight of other people, sometimes to the expense of their own words being heard. Now, I'm not saying that if someone is believing a lie that we have to believe that lie with them, but I am saying you might learn something by listening to them. You might hear their heart. You might actually gain access into their life because you're listening. (laughs) An observation this way too The most joyful elderly people that I know are elderly people who have maintained their curiosity and still ask questions in their old age. They're not of the crowd that has to school all of the younger people, but they're willing to learn from any situation and from any person, no matter their age. Their questions reveal a desire to continue to grow. That's what a child does. And that's the heart's posture that God is looking for. My wife, Jamie, and I have talked about our future as elderly people someday. I know that's kind of a funny conversation to have, but I've actually asked her to remind me of this concept when I get convinced in my old age that I know everything there is to know. I've asked her to help me to stay joyful through being curious and asking questions and enjoying people rather than only being someone who makes statements from my self-perceived wisdom. You know, when curiosity goes, joy goes. And how often do we see joy just drain out of the heart of a person as they age because there's more in the rearview mirror than there is in the windshield and there's no longer a delight to learn. I want to be a joyful elderly person, not a grumpy one, not a frustrated one, not a cynical one. I want to be somebody who still learns, who still has a childlike heart, even into my older age. And probably after we understand the humility and the innocence and the curiosity of a child, the most important observation of a child from Jesus' instructions on why it's the childlike person who enters the kingdom of heaven is faith. Faith. Children have a deep-seated faith because life hasn't stolen it from them yet. And I believe that we can retain that faith throughout our entire life. Hebrews 11 verse 6 The writer of Hebrews says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I can remember when my kids were little, (laughs) their little innocent eyes locked on mine when they were in need, when they had a question or when they were afraid, all they had to do was reach for me and they knew that I would reach down and lift them to security. They didn't reach for anyone else. They didn't reach for the knowledge. They didn't reach for their position. They didn't reach for answers. They didn't reach for their stuff. They reached by faith to the one who could shelter them from whatever was disturbing their little hearts. And somewhere along the way, in our vast array of knowledge and experience as grown-ups, as mature adults, 
we've lost our simple, unexplainable faith in God. We let the circumstances of life steal simple dependence. We let bad experiences talk us into false beliefs about God, His goodness, and His plans for our life, and ultimately our identity as His son or His daughter. And we let our earthly maturity hijack our childlike faith in God. But Jesus is calling us back to the quiet dependence of a child with unquestioned allegiance to the God who created us. A dependence that opens heaven's gates and grips the heart of Jesus. King David, the king who many from antiquity believe was the greatest king that Israel ever had in all his earthly glory, never lost sight of his childlike position in the eyes of God. He was the king of Israel, but he never stopped being a son. With the faith, the innocence, the curiosity, and the utmost dependence on God. Look what he said in Psalm chapter 131. He says this in three short verses Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. So I declare to you today, my friends, the Foundation Stone's audience, God loves kids. And God loves a childlike heart. Let me tell you, God is the Ancient of Days as he is described in the book of Daniel. And that means that he's been around for quite a while, for all eternity actually. So that means that no matter how old you are, you're still quite a bit younger than he is. And you'll always be his kid. So maybe just maybe the posture of your heart ought to return to that place of childlikeness. Not childishness. Don't go misbehaving and call it childlikeness. No, childlikeness. Humility, innocence, curiosity, and faith. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining me on our resurgence of Foundation Stones this mid-part of September. I thank you so much for your faithfulness to the teachings here and for sharing and for liking. Thank you also for putting up with my laryngitis voice today. I hope it wasn't too much of a distraction. And I appreciate your prayers. And I am looking forward to my voice being in better shape next time. In the meantime, keep building your foundations one stone at a time. I love you. Can't wait to see you again. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us next time for another deep dive into the foundation stones of our faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about Refuge City Church or to join our giving team to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ moving forward and making resources like this podcast available into the future, visit refugecity.church.